Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. From MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new and special edition of Between the Links. Hope you're all having a great week thus far. Today on the program, a little bit of a different show. We're going to give you sort of a peek behind the curtain because we are in the final quarter of 2022, which is a very important time in the world of mixed martial arts. We are about to embark on a pivotal stretch for the year-end awards. We have some big fights on the books that we're all looking forward to and some that could have some serious impact on these awards. And also, honestly, how much more can we talk about freaking Mark Zuckerberg going to a UFC event? I'm zuckered out, if I'm being honest. There's no UFC this weekend. There's no Bellator. There's no PFL. No major MMA this weekend. We do have glory. And we got an interesting announcement that Le'Veon Bell is boxing Uriah Hall on the Jake Paul Anderson Silva card. But we could talk about some of that stuff next week. So I figured let's have a roundtable, see what some of the crew is thinking in regards to where these awards stand right now, heading into these pivotal final couple of months of the year. So let us introduce the panelists on the show this week first. One of the OGs of MMA media. He's the host of Fighter vs. Writer on MMAfighting.com. And he is not a fan of my rankings more often than not. Let us say hello <laughs> to Damon Martin. What's up, man? Just starting right off on the old rankings thing. We're just getting it right off the bat. Absolutely. And also from MMAfighting.com. One of the main co-hosts of the ranking show, the co-host of On to the Next One, the Prince of Positivity, and he's the best friend to not just me, but to us all. Mr. Alexander K. Lee, how are you, my friend? My best friend, I am great. You forgot to mention I'm also the only one who knows what's next for Patty Pimblett in the UFC. The only man who will be correctly predicting his next matchup. I can't wait till he has the next fight book so I can move on from this whole entire conversation. But <laughs> no, we're going to get into this. In a, <laughs> yeah, we're going to get into this all momentarily. But a couple of things off the bat. One, I did ask Jed Mishu if he wanted to be a part of this, and he is sticking to his retirement. He is wow. no, he's not Kevin Holland in this situation. He's sticking to his retirement. And the second thing, the MMA fighting 
year-end awards have these specific categories. At least this is what we did last year. The male and female fighters of the year, the fight of the year, the submission of the year, knockout of the year, and the rookie of the year. So we're going to go through all of these, see what we're all thinking as of now in terms of who is in the lead, how things can change, if there's some potentially controversial picks in the mix, and then we're just going to try to hash things out here. So I want to start with the knockout of the year, gentlemen, if we could, because this award and the submission of the year, you can't really predict the future of these, and we really – I mean, it, we, we just really can't, honestly. So if we could at least list off the potential nominees as of right now, we can have who is in the lead, et cetera. So Damon, let's start with you. I feel like there's three options here, two of which I feel are going to be vying for the spot overall. And it's probably going to take something truly spectacular to add another one to this list. But if you had to vote today for the knockout of the year, what is it? It's actually a tougher question to answer because when I look at knockout of the year and I do this with submission of the year as well, it's not just the the greatness of the finish. It's also the magnitude. And I'm sorry to say that to me, it always comes down to like how good the fight is in terms of like ranking in terms of the, the level of talent involved in the knockout or the submission. Cause we've seen some crazy submissions, some crazy knockouts on the regional level, which, you know, they're great, but unfortunately they don't have the same kind of impact. So for me, it comes down to two knockouts. It comes down to Michael Chandler and Tony Ferguson. It comes down to Leon Edwards and, and Kamar Usman. And I actually put Michael Chandler's knockout over Tony Ferguson at the top of the list. Listen, I know Tony Ferguson isn't the same dude that he was a few years ago when he was going to fight Habib and he was the number two lightweight in the world. But he's still a really good fighter and a guy that's never been ethered like that before. And for Michael Chandler to go out and front kick him into oblivion the photo we all know, we've all seen this, the, the horrifying photo and the results of that fight, just the impact of that knockout to me just, just tops the list. It's hard for me to, even as great as Leon Edwards' knockout was, and it, it was incredible, just the the impact of, of watching Michael Chandler's foot go into Tony, Ferg Tony Ferguson's face, then hitting the canvas. It was just an incredible knockout. And to me, it's going to take something really, really, really crazy to top that for 2022. AK, what's at the top of your list right now? Because I feel like we're all going to be in the same boat here. It's either going to be Leon Edwards or Michael Chandler at this point. So where are you at with this? Or maybe you have something completely different. No, no. When we did our, our mid-season uh, awards a few months ago, uh, one month early, um, this was my fault, uh, I had, I, I think that our headline, oh, here's our headline, I'll read it right here. Will anything top Michael Chandler's insane front kick knockout? And uh, the answer is yes, definitely. I, 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 I did change my pick. I know Damon said he's sticking with the, uh, the Chandler kick, which, I mean, aesthetically is just outstanding unforgettable uh but but i mean the leon edwards head kick of uzman i think it's just a notch below that very aesthetically pleasing uh knockout you got the clinging connection the, the audio the auditory uh sensation the way that kamaru fell the way it was it was a no doubter he was out of there um it just checks off so many so many boxes as well not just the visual but it's a ufc title fight it's it's leon edwards on uh, you know both fighters on this huge win streaks leon edwards a long-awaited title shot. Maybe people weren't like super hyped about it, but they know he deserved it, and it felt like he had been passed over um, uh, for you know another shot at, at, at fighting Kamaru. He was definitely behind on the cards. He was down three rounds to one. So uh, the important, the necessity of it, is a huge point in his favor. 
And then we'll see the historical. I mean, we'll see how history looks back on it. But boy, I mean, again, beating a guy who was 15 and no untouchable pound for pound number one in our rankings, not consensus, but was number one uh, pound for pound fighter. Oh, maybe I'm sorry. Volkanovsky, I think had taken the spot, but was still in the top three. And Usman had held the number one spot for the majority of uh, the time that we've been doing the MMA fighting pound for pound ranking. So there's just all these little things that add up and um, we'll see how our rematch goes. I'm sure they'll fight again someday. Uh, third time to say a trilogy bout, but uh, for now, boy, what a moment in time for Leon Edwards. What a, I don't want to say hail Mary. Cause like people keep saying it's lucky. It wasn't lucky, but just the perfect strike at the perfect time. And, uh, uh, given the stakes, I, I have to put that as the best knockout so far heading into the last uh, last few months of the year here. Yeah, it's always the conversation. I feel like this is going to come up again where it's you weigh the finish itself against the stakes that are involved in it. And I think Chandler's knockout was the best actual finish taking the stakes out of it. Like if all fights were treated the same, there were no titles. I think Chandler wins this award. And I think Molly McCann is probably second to Leon Edwards and Leon Edwards is probably third, but I just don't know if this outweighs the circumstances behind Leon's knockout of Kamaru Usman less than a minute, not only of the necessity of winning the fight and staying in there, but that was probably his only chance ever to fight for the UFC welterweight title. So with that said, it's Edwards for me right now, just because of the stakes involved in it. But I mean, listen, if you want to throw, if you think Michael Chandler's front kick KO of Tony Ferguson is number one, I ain't going to argue with you. Are there any other uh, options that you guys are thinking about? The Molly McCann AKA? one, I will yeah. say that was, that was the, the Molly McCann one was pretty incredible. I will, I will give a, I will give a heads up for that. That was an incredible knockout. Um, and both of them, by the way, she had two of them, which is kind of crazy in the same year. It's almost like you want to give her credit for two knockouts in one year. Um, so that was pretty spectacular. And I love, I love a good spinning elbow, spinning back kick. I love a good spinning knockout, you know, as, uh, as, uh, as, uh, Nick Diaz once famously said to Carlos Condit, we're throwing spin and bleep now. I don't know if we can curse on the show, so I don't want to curse, but yeah, we're, th- we're throwing spin and bleep now. So yeah, I-, I love the spinning knockouts, but I think Molly McCann's probably like the third, in my opinion, like the third runner up in this one. Yeah, M- Molly okay. McCann. Yeah, Molly McCann definitely in there. She was the fronter. That was before the Chandler uh, knockout, right? Yeah, I think the first right? one. Yeah. I remember when that happened, and we were like, we were like, oh, the last knockout of the year. I mean, it was the first first spinning uh, back attack knockout by a female fighter. So it was history making. It happened in London, which was just the first London card of this year. So again, the atmosphere was just incredible. Like it amplified the moment like so much. So that was up there. Uh, I listed some other honorable mentions. Uh, Zhang Wei Li. Also had a spinning knockout, amazing spinning knockout of uh, Joanna Yachechik. Um, I don't know if that was kind of a downer for some people to see Joanna go out like that. So maybe that's why um, it isn't quite getting the attention that Molly's did or also because it came after Molly's. But that was huge. I mean, that knockout was insane. Uh, Korshkov annihilating Chancellor Encounters. Speaking of spinning stuff, just annihilating Chancellor Encounters insides with that spin kick. Um, that's a good if one. Anyone's, yeah, and there was a follow-up post after from Chan, uh, from Chan saying, like, here's what happened to my rib cage. Like, my, my rib cage, like, no longer exists. So, you know, thank you for that. Uh, thank you for that. Something like that. He didn't say that, but, boy, it was bad. And then uh, a couple more. Uh, Goiti Yamauchi, also in Bellator. Uh, one of my favorites, just him becoming the Terminator all of a sudden on the feet and taking out Neiman Gracie. I don't know what the hell that was. Like, it was, it was hilarious and so fun to watch and just uppercut, uppercutting neiman gracie into another dimension and then uh dj like any yeah. other year i feel like the dj revenge knee would have been number one like clearly and now it's like maybe third at best again behind the two front kicks and maybe even behind molly mccann but like 
the it looked amazing the poetry of it the symmetry it was just so cool and it, it was a huge like a huge event for one like it really he really capped off uh, a big event. So, um, and, and put him back in our pound for pound back atop the quote unquote flyweight rankings. That's a whole other discussion we don't need to get into now. So yeah, a lot of historical value there and it looked amazing. So uh, it, it's crazy. I almost want to say that's like my favorite knockout of the year, but I, I can't put it above Edwards or, uh, or Chandler. And DJ yeah, did DJ's, it against the lightweight. Yeah. He did it against the lightweight. <laughs> and the guy's so much bigger. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. DJ's definitely going to be my list. Uh, we talk about that London card in March. Ilya Taporia had a was probably the front runner for knockout of the year before Molly McCann got hers because he deaded Jai Herbert. It was nasty. Uh, I, and Tai Tuivasa is someone I'd like to honorably yes. mention as well for the finish of Derek Lewis. So let's go to the submission of the year. And we can go the stakes route here again. We can go with the uniqueness of the submission. This is always kind of a, a toss-up here. We can weigh prelim submissions versus main event submissions. There's a bunch of different ways we can go with this. So, AK, we'll, we'll start with you. What do you have right now? Because, again, we have stakes versus taste here, and there's a number of avenues we could travel. What's your go-to right now? Yeah, I am sticking with my mid-season choice here. I'm going to go, or mid-year choice, say I'm, <clears throat> it was Jessica Andraj uh, from uh, April 23rd apex event her uh, standing arm triangle choke of amanda lemos it was just so vicious such a reminder of how jessica andrage is one of the like best pound for pound female fighters of all time and i'm not just speaking for her in past tense again she's in the middle of a pound for pound great career uh straw weight fly weight it doesn't matter she just finishes people um lemos is a pretty highly rated up-and-coming contender you know I, know I know she was certainly behind andrage in the rankings and the underdog going to this fight but the way that andrage just overpowered her and and just slapped on that arm triangle standing against the fence nowhere to go um just the still images from it are like so disturbing and so powerful so i'm sticking with that um yeah there are definitely some other choices uh fights with bigger stakes but that to me was like my favorite and i'm, I'm going with uh batashtaka for now i'm going with stakes here I have to go with Yuri Prohashka right now because like Leon Edwards, Yuri was about to lose his title fight to Glover Teixeira at UFC 275. He was a minute away from losing the fight. And then he goes out and submits Glover Teixeira, winning in a way that nobody ever thought he could. And obviously Andrade is up there with the standing arm triangle. I think Oliver Enkamp's buggy choke is something that should probably be looked at. I actually, I, I watched a lot of submissions over the last 24 hours. I liked Vanessa Demopoulos's submission over Sylvania gomez Horace because she got freaking cracked in that fight, overcame it, got the sub, obviously jumping into Joe Rogan's arms is a big deal. And uh, Saeed Nurmagomedov just stunning Cody Stamen real quick. And that was in January at UFC 270. The list goes on, but Damon, I don't know, at least to me, if anything beats Yuri Prohashka with everything else involved, what do you think? It's a weird one because you said biggest submission of the year. I would say Yuri Prohashka gets it because there's no bigger submission than doing what he did to a you know high level grappler like Glover Teixeira. But again, this is one where I'm kind of torn, kind of like the Michael Chandler, Leon Edwards thing. The bigger submission was the the Yuri Prohashka. The better submission, in my opinion, was the Jessica Andrade against Amanda Lemos, and that's why it's topping my list. To standing, we've only seen it one other time at this level, and that was when Jessica I did it to Zoila Frosto back in Bellator like 10 years ago, the standing arm triangle choke. It's such a weird, random choke and, and so hard to get standing. I mean, it's just a ridiculous move to get. And again, 
Jessica Andrade against Amanda Limos isn't a, a low-level fight. It's a really high-level fight between two topful fighters, and to go out there and do what she did was so incredible. So she top for me. I have no problem if it's Yuri Prohoshka. Like I said, that's the bigger submission. That's the one with more meaning behind it because he tapped out an incredible grappler. He did it in a title fight. He did it in the moment he was losing, and he went out there and got the submission. So that was huge. Um, also want to shout out Renier de Ritter over in one championship, pulling off the weird yep. inverted triangle choke to get his submission win. That was a big one. And then the, that, that weird, that weird guillotine ish kind of choke. We just saw in Bellator like recently, like again, incredible submission. I just think when you're talking about like the prelim submission versus the, the, the main card main event kind of submissions, again, it's harder to, it's harder to put that in the same context when you're talking about, you know, Glover to share your Prohoshka, I mean, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jessica Andrade, things like that. So, incredible submission. But I got, I, I still go with Jessica Andrade number one. But, but I think Yuri is a good second pick, and I love the Renier de Ritter one. I thought that inverted triangle was sick. Yeah, that's a great one. I want to shout out Tommy Aspinall as well. That was just. I mean, it, it's it's a submission we see all the time, but just the moment behind it was very memorable in that main event in March at UFC London. But AK, any others that, that stand out to you? Yeah, I'll toss out another inverted triangle. Uh, Lazy King, Abdul Abdurahimov, probably one of the best guys who isn't signed to a major North American promotion right now. Um, he did it at Aries FC3 earlier this year. It looked it looked probably just as good as, as Reiner de Ritter's. Um, again, a little bit of a lower, you know, not, not as well-known show, but, you know, Aries FC is doing some good stuff. He also did it against... Uh, UFC veteran Godofredo Pepe, who had never been submitted before. So this was really big. It was actually pretty big when it happened. Um, so I'll go with that. I, I thought that deserves mention. And again, if you guys haven't seen Lazy King, he's got a ton of highlight reel submissions. Definitely look him up. Uh, Claudio Puez's uh, knee bar of Clay Guida. That was sensational. Just amazing. And then uh, one more from, the, from sort of the strange pile. Um, Luca Poklit. Uh, who did he submit? Um, Dante Shiro, Shiro at Bellator 285 uh, just last month. Uh, that was I'd never seen a choke done like that before. That was awesome, and uh, good for him for I think that was his, his Bellator debut and making quite a uh, quite an impact. So that was that was a cool one. Yeah, that was the what the hell did I just see submission of the year? <laughs> yeah. No doubt about it. <laughs> Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. 
Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. So let's head to the fight of the year. And in most people's eyes, this is a two-horse race. And to me, it's a three-horse race, maybe even a four. But I'll, I'll start with this one. And look, this is one of those things in regards to how you view this category. Do you favor chaos? Do you go against AK and favor the mixing of the martial arts? Do you favor stakes? Do you favor one round against three, four, or five rounds? A lot to dissect and think of. And for me... Honorable mentions, Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje was incredible. It was an unbelievable fight for those three minutes and change. That's going to make my list. My favorite fight of the year is Armand Sarukian versus Batush Gamrod. I have watched that fight more than any other fight, but it's not in the top two because it's going to come down to these two fights. It's going to come down to Hamza Shemaya versus Gilbert Burns and Yuri Prohashka versus Glover Teixeira. And for me, it is the latter because I just... I've never seen a fight just have so many swings, so many momentum changes, so many emotional roller coaster moments, and just so much insanity for the entirety of the fight like that, especially in one that no one thought was going to get out of the first or second round. This thing gets to the final minute, and we get Yuri Prohashka just locking on the sub at the very end. And to me, I, I'm I'm going to give Yuri as much of a rub as possible because I felt like he got hosed out of two awards last year. But I just don't see anything beating this in my eyes, but I'm willing to listen to arguments for some of the other selections. So, Damon, what say you? What's on your list? What's your number one? Boy, I tell you what, you know, when I really thought about it, this is a lot more difficult question than I thought it would be, to be honest. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, I know it's going to be Gilbert Burns and Hamza Chemaev. That was my favorite fight of the year. But then I started looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, that one, and oh, yeah, that one, and, Devison Figueredo, Brandon Moreno, three. We forgot, kind of forget about that because that was in January, but that was an incredible fight. And of course, Yuri Prohoshka and, and Glover Teixeira is right there. Uh, the David Onama, Nate Landwehr fight was ridiculous. Uh, I love the surreal gone and tied to Ivasa. That one just going back and forth, kind of wild craziness. Of course, Charles Oliveira, Justin Gaethje was wild, even though it lasted less than a round, but it was an incredible fight for as long as it did last. But for me, it comes down to Gilbert Burns and Hamza Chemaev just because that was such an incredible war for three rounds. Those guys took, I mean, they, listen, that's one of those fights kind of like Robbie Lawler and Carlos Condit where it's over. And you're like, they both lost a piece of their soul in that fight. Like they just took something out of each other that they'll never get back. And, you know, that was one of those fights. Like my biggest regret of that fight is it wasn't five rounds. You know, if it was five rounds, I don't know if either guy would have survived. We might've seen a finish, but I think, you know, five rounds of that would have been insane. So to me, that's number one. Uh, again, I don't have a problem whatsoever with Yuri Prohoshka and Glover Teixeira being the other one. It's a title fight, obviously a little higher stakes. But I just think about, you know, Hamza Chemaev, the hype. He was a massive favorite against a, a, a top, legit top three welterweight. Like people were just looking past Gilbert Burns like he was some bum. And then Gilbert Burns goes in there and was basically a minute away from beating Hamza. I mean, you talk about that third round, it was so close. It was just a couple of exchanges difference between Gilbert Burns winning and losing. And then going out there and doing what he did to Hamza Chemaev, who we just saw what he did to, you know, Kevin Holland, what he's done to everybody else but Gilbert Burns. It's just, it was, that fight was so ridiculous. And that's the one I've rewatched the most this year. So that's why I put it at the top of the list. 
Yeah, I, I don't have any issue with that. AK, what you got? I picked Chaos. I had to go with Chaos. I love, God, I love that Forhashka to share a fight. I mean, that is just the best, dumbest MMA championship fight I've seen in so long. Fundamentally, maybe not, you know, maybe both men have fought better fights. All right, let's be honest. Was, was this either guy's best fight? I don't know. I don't know. We've both seen them have better finishes. We've both seen them in more technical, you know, well, well-constructed, well-executed battles. Man, you want to talk about guys just reaching down deep and just just fighting on instinct, man. Just like throwing stuff out there again, making moves and 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 maneuvers they maybe they shouldn't have done. But what a roller coaster! I just cannot remember the last five round fight where I was so up and down. And I like both guys, so like I was, I was certainly rooting for Teixeira. I I picked. Uh, I've been saying Teixeira was going to submit Prochka for months, you know, since before the matchup was even made. And there was times where it looked like it was going to happen. And I thought it was going to be a genius, and then Prochka would just either somehow the position would change, and then Prochka ended up submitting him, which was complete pandemonium, just bizarre. And I don't know if either man will ever be the same. So I, that's for me is my number one choice. Uh, Shamaya Burns number two, and then sneaking in there, uh, I loved the Figueredo Moreno um, trilogy bout. It yeah. happened at the beginning of the year, um, I, so I do feel like a lot of people are maybe going to forget it when year end comes around. That fight is kind of the opposite of Prochka Teixeira. Just technical and athletic and tactical brilliance. Just both the the two, clearly the two best flyweights in the world at their best. Again, this is why we want to see it a fourth time. I could watch these guys fight 10 times. They are the two best. There's a lot of great flyweights out there. And and of course, other guys should get their shot. But if you want to run this back once a year, I would have no problem with it. I want Moreno and Figueredo to fight forever. It is their matchup. They're just so, so much fun, so perfectly matched in there. So um, that was was my third. And actually very close second. I actually almost like that more than Shamaya Burns. And uh, a little, a big honorable mention to Chris Barnett and Jake Collier, uh, UFC 279. What a dumb fight. You know when you talk about dumb fights? I <laughs> <laughs> was just, I don't know. I, I still don't know what the hell happened there, but I just know that it was it was a great time. Yeah, uh, I will. I, I add Nate Landwehr, David Onama to that list as well. That fight was absolutely ridiculous. I don't even know so what good. I watched that that card at UFC San Diego, but that was incredible. So, Damien, let me ask you this: It's going to be very hard to top those two fights. And if we're going to try to predict the future here, there's one that definitely sticks out. When Michael Chandler shows up at Madison Square Garden in a UFC octagon. It's usually in something that could produce some sort of chaos. We saw it last year against Justin Gaethje. And then anytime Michael Chandler fights in the UFC, some sort of chaos can happen. So I feel like that's the front runner in a lot of people's eyes that if any fight on the calendar that's booked right now can get up to any of those spots, it's that one. But is there anything else in the books right now that you're like, Ooh, this one, if it goes the way I think it will might actually have a chance to, to get up there with Bern Shemaev and Tashira Prahashka. Let me throw out one other contender that I think could kind of sneak under the radar. Listen, I actually think Olivera Makachev is going to be really interesting. I think that could be a really, really interesting fight. The way that the to, the way that uh, Olivera approaches his fights, and and I know that Makachev is not known for being in really exciting fights, but I think that's a really interesting one. But the one I'm going to throw out as a caveat: Benil Dariush against Matush Gamrod. We just saw what Gamrod did in that crazy fight with Armand Saruki, and that was an incredible fight, an incredible display of real mixed martial arts. But Neil Dariush doesn't get nearly the respect he deserves for the run he's on and the exciting fights he's put on during that run, the knockouts, the crazy finishes, 
the dominance he had over Tony Ferguson. You know, he's kind of fallen out of the wayside because he's been injured, fell out of the Makachev fight, and he's been gone for basically a year now. But I think that Darius Gamrod fight is going to, I think it's going to open a lot of eyes for the winner of that fight. You know, I think that's going to be a really crazy one. Gamrod's an incredible wrestler, a grinder, really exciting guy. You know, Benero Darius has huge knockout power, world-class jujitsu. I think that's one that could kind of slip under the radar and steal a few eyes away from, uh, from some of these other fights potentially. And again, obviously, you know, Poirier Chandler is pretty much guaranteed fireworks until one of those guys falls over but yeah i think gamrot dariush is one that's kind of slipping under the radar ak what do you think is there anything out there that you think could be a contender here i mean while we're on 280 like i think 280 just looks absolutely beautiful please mma gods keep this card as it is it's fantastic um because i think yan versus o'malley could actually be really good uh, i'm not sure what people are expecting there if they're expecting yan to run through o'malley or if you're an o'malley fan like maybe he wins by like a surprising knockout um but I actually think they'll bring the best out of each other. I think they will, we will get a good, if not five rounds, I think it'll go past three and then maybe some, you know, maybe classic Jan, he'll pull away in the fourth or something. Or, or O'Malley again. O'Malley surprises us and, and knocks him out. But I think they'll bring out the best in each other. I think it'll be a good tactical battle with some nice, wild, fun moments. So that that I have my eye on. Uh, and I'm glad you mentioned, um, I'm glad that Makachev and and uh, Oliveira was mentioned because, yeah, I don't know if it'll be this like barn burner, but it's so intriguing on paper and also i should have mentioned this earlier i think because i was kind of you know i'd stuck with the jessica andrage for submission of the year i'm telling you when Oliveira submits makachev that will be wow. the new submission of the year. that will be the new submission i love it <laughs> i love it that's why that's why you were on the show ak to, to just produce hot takes jed can't be here he's retired now so you're you're bringing out the hot take guns and and i appreciate that very much Let's go to the rookie of the year category because I think this is kind of interesting. So I, I don't know if we're going to have internal discussion about this. I know there was talks about maybe changing this to breakthrough fighter of the year, but we introduced the rookie of the year award. I don't know if last year was the first year that we did it. I think it might have been. And Casey O'Neill won that. I've, and basically the way that we defined it was they had to debut in a major promotion that year from the regional scene or not from another major promotion. So a guy coming from Bellator to the UFC or vice versa doesn't really count. So to me, Damon, I'll start with you here. There's a clear front runner, but maybe not the way, you know, you wanted to find this award. So who do you have leading the way right now for this rookie of the year category? I feel like the answer that everyone is going to most commonly give, and you're probably right, is Jelton Almeida. I mean, that guy is a monster, and what he's done in a couple of fights in the UFC, he's looked incredible. He's got another one coming up, and I think he's going to, you know, that could pretty much cement him as the guy. Um, so that's probably the right answer. Jelton Almeida is off the charts, and I think he's a contender right now. Like he's a he's a legit contender in his division after a couple of fights in the UFC. But I'm going to go in another direction just to give another option because I do think Jalton Almeida is probably the answer. But I'm actually going to go for Jack Della Maddalena. Coming out Ooh. two fights this year, two knockouts this year, two vicious knockouts this year. Coming off the Contender Series out of Australia. I've followed his career for a while now, and I really like this kid. And I think he's in a tougher division in terms of overall talent at welterweight. Now, you can argue he hasn't fought better talent yet, and that's true because, again, he's not got to those top 15 guys yet. 
but his power, he kind of reminds me a couple years ago when Jeff Neal came in and just started rocking people and just kind of surprising people with how good he was. I think Jack Della Maddalena has that kind of talent and he is in a better division. Listen, I know Jalton Almeida is light heavyweight and heavyweight. They're not nearly as deep as welterweight. Welterweight to me is, you know, right there with bantamweight and lightweight is the, you know, deepest and toughest division in the sport. So I'm going with Jack. I, listen, I, it's probably not the right answer. I think Jalton Almeida is probably the right answer. And when it's all said and done, that's probably the guy who'll even get my vote because he's incredible and he's a contender and he's a legit threat to become a champion one day. But I just want to throw out a caveat. I want to throw a little little wrinkle in the in the plan here and say Jack Della Maddalena will get my vote right now just based on his two performances. They've both been incredible, incredible knockouts. Uh, and again, I think it's just in a better division overall. But again, Almeida is probably the guy, but Jack Della is my guy. I have a 1B and a caveat as well. And, but before we get that, AK, who do you have right now? Is it Almeida? Is it Della Maddalena? Or are we thinking somewhere? Oh, well, we had, we had different? very, uh, I think we had very different uh, perspectives on what was the note. Like for me, the no doubt, when we were talking about this a little bit before the show, and I thought everyone was going to say this same thing, um, this kind of shows how like, our interpretation of rookie slash breakthrough slash what have you it keeps we're not on the same page we've never been on the same page we don't know <laughs> so i mean i thought the obvious choice was bo nickel i, I mean I, I i i don't know if we're not counting it because he's on a contender series technically he hasn't you know debuted with the ufc but like it just seemed like he seems like such an easy choice uh he's also a true rookie i mean if we want to go he, he made his professional debut this year he, he fought a couple of times amateur uh last year super dominant but he's the most one of he's gone from, again, um, obviously being a very famous uh, uh, collegiate wrestler to now being one of the most talked about names in all of MMA. Um, people can say like, oh, you know, what, whatever. We, we've given him a lot of a pub, but that's because people are interested. The guy talks. The guy performs. Again, like we said, the guy has an existing fan base from his extraordinary uh, amateur wrestling career. He ha- he really looks like he is going to be he's going to fight for a title within the first like year of his career which sounds completely insane i just say 18 months if we're sorry going back to his pro debut when the first 18 months he's somehow it feels like he's going to end up in a title fight and and when it happens i don't know if any of us are going to be that surprised so yeah just based on his sheer dominance how much we're talking about him yes technically he has not made his debut but i think he'll be even stronger candidate by the end of the year uh when he fights at ufc 282 and apologies to jamie pickett probably runs to Jamie Pickett in a round as he did has uh, all his other opponents. So um, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be Bo Nickel for me. It's Jailton Almeida for me right now. He's got another fight coming up in 16 days against Shamil Abdurahimov. He's in the lead right now, but inching close behind him is a man who's also fighting on that card. His name is Muhammad Bahayev. That dude is just a monster. I think everyone knows how highly I, I regard him. I've come out publicly and said, I believe he's not only going to be the flyweight champion, but if he keeps on going and keeps on fighting, he will win two titles in two different divisions. I think he's looked impressive. The finish against Cody Durden was ridiculous. The second fight, a lot of people weren't thrilled about, but I think that was even scarier than the first one because he just wrestled and wrestled and wrestled. He had about 879 takedowns. It's going to be so hard to beat this guy. So he's in the mix. Della Madeline is in the mix. It's hard to leave Joe Pfeiffer out of this conversation because he is getting pushed real hard. They basically built the whole contender series season early on behind him. And then they gave him a favorable matchup. But Bo Nickel is the, is the interesting point here, Damon. I want to get your thought on this because like AK said, nobody has made more of an impact 
in this type of category than he has, but by definition, he hasn't had an official UFC fight yet. May have been under contract, but DWCS is its own thing. It's not UFC. Now, he will fight December 10th against Jamie Pickett. If he does what many believe he will do December 10th, does he win this award? I mean, I think it's hard to argue against that. Let me say Bo Nickel, in my opinion, is the best prospect coming out of wrestling, coming into MMA we've seen, in my opinion, since Daniel Cormier did all those years ago. Uh, I think, you know, I'm the wrestling guy. I follow Bo Nickel at, at Penn State. He's a monster. He was a constant pain in the side of my Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, Miles Martin was the one guy who beat him early on, but then he beat Miles Martin many times after that. Um, yeah, Bo Nickel, listen, and here's why here, I, I totally agree with what AK is saying. Here's my, my complaint and my problem. It's not the pick. It's this. He should have already made his UFC freaking debut. He should not have had that second contender series fight. That was a bunch of junk. They had to do the second contender series fight to prove himself. Come on now. That was ridiculous. You're telling me you couldn't have come in and done that against a UFC fighter and had a bigger impact and now going into a second fight in December in the UFC and that it is a clear-cut answer for Bo Nickel? It's ridiculous. He should not have fought that second contender series fight. It was a joke. Uh, that was an utter, utter joke to make him do that. You knew you were going to sign him. You knew he was going to come in and do what he did. To make him go through that instead of putting him in the UFC right away was ridiculous. So, yeah, Bo Nichols probably the right answer in terms of talent, in terms of prospect, because I think that guy's going to be a champion uh, sooner rather than later, 100%. What, without a doubt, I believe that. Uh, my biggest issue is, like I said, he didn't actually have the UFC fight yet. So, yeah, that's the problem. And also, I do want to say, I didn't forget about Muhammad Mikhaev. I think Mikhaev is an incredible prospect, and I think he's also got to be in that running if he gets his win over Malcolm Gordon, which is a, a tough fight. I think he wins that fight, but it's a tough fight. Malcolm Gordon's no joke. So Mikhaev's got to be in that conversation as well. But yeah, Bo Nichols should be looking at 2-0 and in the UFC by the end of the year, not 1-0. and Yeah, he's going to... He's going to be the name. Like, if anyone's going to upend any of those other guys in our voting, it's going to be Bo if he beats Jamie Pickett. And a lot of people feel like he's going to do just that. Uh, just to add a little bit of spice to this, add a, add a female into the, the conversation. If Yasmin Yurigi beats Estella Nunes December 3rd, she might be like the number five. She's, she might end up with a couple of votes. Um, okay. And that leads us to the female fighter of the year. And this one is... Really interesting because Valentina Shevchenko had a title defense. She won a very close decision, a decision a lot of people thought she lost. Amanda Nunes had one title defense against Juliana Pena. She looked great doing it, and neither will fight again in 2022, it appears. And who knows? There could be someone that comes through later in the year. I don't know, but we have Liz Carmouche. She's the Bellator flyweight champion. She beat... Juliana Velasquez, they'll run it back in December. I believe that's that's when that one's happening. But that was kind of contentious because of the stoppage. But AK, I'm going to start with you, and I'm going to start with this question. And this person I'm bringing up has a fight coming up in November. But is Molly McCann the female fighter of the year right now? Two wins, two finishes. She's got a nominee for KO of the year. And... I mean, just look at the like look at the women's divisions right now in the UFC and Bellator. Is she actually leading the pack right now? She would if she beats Aaron Blanchfield, she might be my pick. Might be. But even the even then, I might not go from my initial choice here, who I think is the fighter of the year through 
through through this recording and uh, the first three fights that she's had. I think people got to show some love to, and this is the answer I'd be giving uh, if I were going for uh, brownie points, if this were a competitive BTL uh, and trying to go for brownie points from from our producer, Casey. Uh, Saika Izawa. Yeah, Saika Izawa, I think, has to be considered. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> I was giving him time to queue it up. Uh, she beat Ayaka Hamasaki last year, who was considered by my team, you know, the Adam Wake goat or one of the greatest Adam Waits of all time. And then they did an immediate rematch. She won again earlier this year, unanimous decision, and just has kind of dominated her past two opponents. She's only 24 years old. She's undefeated 8-0. She is in our pound-for-pound rankings. Unfortunately, you know, it's... I'm sure everyone's like, oh, I want to see her come over to the UFC or I want to see her come over to Bellator. It's like those promotions don't have... Um, Adam weight divisions. So I would just say, hey, check out these Ryzen fights because she's doing some real damage over there. So, you know, is, is the competition, aside from Ayaka Masaki, like has the, you know, her recent competition been as good as she could be facing um, relative to, you know, straw weights or fly weights in, in North America? I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can't say that fairly, but I will say she's been super impressive. Again, just 24 years old, extremely dominant. And yeah, and in a year where I feel like it's lacking a clear cut, um, you know, uh, a dominant women's fighter, like we said, Amanda Nunes, great performance against Pena, but just the one fight. Shevchenko, uh, very tough win over um, Tyler Santos. I don't know why that, that rematch hasn't been booked yet. Um, I'm, go- I'm going with this. I'm just going for, with results. And Azawa, 3-0, and probably I imagine they might book her again for, uh, for the year-end card. She could go 4-0 in 2022. And then uh, even if Molly McCann does beat Aaron Blanchfield, it might still be Azawa in the end. But um, yeah, but the Molly McCann question is really valid and was the first name that popped in my head before I did some more, you know, did some more digging. Damon, where are you at with this one? All right, first off, I want to know, um, what did, did you guys pass out the drugs before the show and you didn't tell me and didn't join because you guys are on something with the Molly McCann pick her opponents. She beat this year, have a combined UFC record of four and six. Okay. Let's slow down on Molly McCann's quality opponent here. When you talk about two spinning, but she beat Hannah Goldie. Who's one and three in the UFC. And I, I like the one fight. I'm still shocked. She won. Okay. Four and six records. So let's slow down on the Molly McCann. It, the, the, the level of competition matters when you talk about knockouts, both spectacular four and six opponents. Okay. Let's slow down there. Uh, Listen, it's not an easy answer because the the champions have not been as active. Amanda Nunes has one fight. Valentina Shevchenko has one fight. For me right now, it's Amanda Nunes because of the way she came back and beat Juliana Pena from just from pillar to post in that fight. I mean, it was a lopsided fight. Basically should have been a finish. Juliana Pena was just so tough. She stuck around for all five rounds. But for Amanda Nunes to lose the way she did the first time and then come back and just wreck juliana pena for five rounds to reclaim her title that to me puts her at number one i'm not super confident in that pick only because again it's only one fight um i think you know kayla harrison has an argument i know you say level of competition but if she goes out and beats larissa pacheco's look like a killer this year you could put her in that conversation a little bit uh but i think the one fighter that i know a lot of people are going to completely disagree with me on this and i know i'm going to get hate for this one if carla sparza goes out and beats Zhang Wei Li in november I think she's the fighter in women's fight of the year because I don't care how ugly the fight was with Rose Namajunas. The fact that she got the title back like seven years later 
and actually went out there and became a champion again, which is so rare for a fighter to go that long and then come back and become a champion. And then she's going to go into the fight against Zhang Weili as a massive underdog. No one is picking Carla Esparza to win that fight. If she can go out there and beat Zhang Weili, I think Carla Esparza is going to be my pick for the top fighter. You know, will she beat Zhang Weili? That's a whole other question. But if she does, I think Carla Esparza is the answer. Interesting choice. Uh, that's not a bad one. Molly is in the mix right now. I don't care who she fought. Just the way she's went out there and, and did her job. And she's gotten over probably more than any other women's fighter on the roster right now, for being honest. But I don't think she's going to win this. Even if she beats Aaron Blanchfield, I don't think it's going to happen because, Damon, I think you're right. I think whoever wins that fight probably is the front runner. Even if Zhang Wei Li wins the title, I think she's probably the front runner to be the fighter of the year because she knocked out and retired Yuani and Jacek and then wins the title in the same year. I think that puts her in a really good spot. I know this name might not be the most popular when it comes to this, but I think Caitlin Chukagian is currently in the conversation right now with two wins. If she beats Manon Fioro at UFC 280, she's had a pretty decent strength of schedule. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting right now because we have to wait for some of these fights to happen, but I feel like Zhang Wei Li has the best chance to win this award at the moment. AK, what do you think? What, what's your future projections telling you? Uh, first off, I do want to shout out uh, Jillian DeCourcy, who's had a nice, nice little, nice little uh, not obviously not, not the women's fighter of the year, but a nice little tidy 2022, comes back to Invicta. She's, a, she's kind of a, home, <clears throat> excuse me, she's kind of a homegrown Invicta product, has fought for Invicta and Cage Fury, and so came back to uh, Invicta this year, a little bit of some, after some time off. First round finish, Lindsay Van Zant. first round finish of uh, Jessica Delboni, who's a really good fighter, um, and she's Invicta Adamway champ, so nice little story there. Um, so good for her. Uh, I will say I agree with the Chukagian thing. I mean, I know people, it sounds shocking if she beats Menel Fioro that she would be the fighter of the year, uh, women's fighter of the year, but she's she's been really successful this year, as she always is every year outside of, you know, winning sort of the big the big ones. Uh, and then I'll just honorable mention as well for Emily Ducote. Emily Ducote, if she wins, if she beats uh, Angela Hill, uh, that's pretty big. I think uh, Dakota, I don't know if she's in our rankings or or is a far of she's received votes. Uh, but that'll be 3-0. and Beats Jessica Penne, another veteran. Again, she defended her Invicta Strawweight title earlier this year before making the jump to the UFC. And then obviously getting uh, so any kind of win over Angela Hill would be huge. So don't sleep on that. We'll see. I, I, it's, I find it hard for anyone to get a convincing win over Angela Hill. So if she did pull that off, then that, that's a huge feather in her cap. But um, she's in the running. So yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, Cody. She's number 14 in our rankings right now. Angela right. Hill number 13. Yeah. So the stakes, the stakes could not be higher. <laughs> the 13th is 115. Also, I think, I, I think, I think Aaron Blanchfield is going to end the Molly McCann uh, conversation in November. No offense to Molly McCann. I think Aaron Blanchfield is a huge step up in competition in my opinion. And I think Molly McCann yeah. is a huge step up in competition for Aaron Blanchfield. I mean, you're not wrong, but hey. Hannah Goldie to to Aaron Blanchfield, that sure. seems like a pretty big jump to me. So Listen, I I I I'm way on the Aaron Blanchfield hype train, but I just keep telling people she's super young. And I don't know. I I, I agree. I think she's a future champion someday, but like I, I'm always, I'm always, you know, kind of uh, tentative with predicting huge things for these prospects, unless your name is Bo Nickel. But, um, but yeah, she's super young, and I just need to see a little more. But yeah, I mean, she's great. I, 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 let me put it this way: neither outcome would surprise me. I would tell people if Molly McCann beat her, I wouldn't be super surprised. And of, of course, if Blanchfield wins, I definitely would not be surprised. <laughs> so that's going to be fun for the last couple of months of the year. 
much like the male fighter of the year category, because a lot can happen between now and the end of the year. But Damon, it's pretty clear, at least to me, and maybe I'm wrong about this. Alexander Volkanovsky is the front runner right now. Is he not? Uh, he actually is my number two. Really? Um, Who's he is my number two. Uh, listen, my immediate pick was Alexander Volkanovsky. You go out there and decimate the Korean zombie and then you beat Max Holloway the way he did. So in, I mean, that was unbelievable. That was one of the most unbelievable performances I've ever witnessed to beat Max Holloway. The way he did was unbelievable, but I wasn't shocked that he won. I was shocked at how he won, but I wasn't shocked that he won. Alexander Volkanovsky has been one of the best guys in the world. Leon Edwards knocking out Kamara Usman after he was down three rounds to one, looked like he was on his way to a decision loss and the, probably the only title shot he would have his entire career to then rocket that head kick up and knock out the number one pound for pound fighter in the world. In my opinion, again, Volkanovsky was number one in our rankings. My opinion, Usman was still number one to go out there and do that the way he did. And I know it's one fight. It's not, you know, multiple fights in a year, but we have a lot of one fights this year. We have a lot of champions who only fought one time this year, you know, so it's a little harder, kind of like the women's division with, you know, Amanda Nunes and Shevchenko and things like that. Leon Edwards going out and doing what he did in a fight that no one was picking him to win. Come on, let's be honest. No one was picking him to win. Everyone was looking at Usman and Chemaev. Everyone was looking at Usman and Chemaev. It was going to be the big fight in 2023. That was the fight we were going to get. For Leon Edwards to go out there and shock the world and knock out Kamara Usman in that fifth round so definitively. And, and again, I think that would have been it. If he didn't win that fight, I don't think he'd ever get another title shot again. I really don't. I really don't think he'd ever get back there again because there wasn't a lot of people banging the drum for him to get that title shot. For him to go out and do what he did to the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world, knock him out, the first guy to ever do that to Kamara Usman, it's Leon Edwards. I put him number one. I think he's my choice for fighter of the year. Listen, Volkanovski's incredible. You're never going to find a guy who's going to – I'm going to disagree with putting Volkanovski number one, the two fights he had this year. But, again, neither fight surprised me. I thought he was a – I thought he. I thought what he did to the Korean Zombie was exactly what I expected him to do to the Korean Zombie. I didn't expect him to walk through Max Holloway in the rematch or in their trilogy, but I wasn't so shocked he won. I was shocked Leon Edwards did what he did to Kamar Usman. AK – where are you at on this? Because to me, anybody who jumps Kamara Usman in the number one pound for pound conversation, even before Usman lost to Leon Edwards, to me, just the two performances, and, and I'm not taking it, Leon's going to be on my top five list. There's no doubt about it. But to me, it's got to be Volkanovsky. He just, he, per, he had two perfect games this year. He beat the hell out of Korean Zombie. And it was like, it was like torturous to watch. I was just waiting for this fight to end. I felt bad for the Korean zombie. And then he puts on a legit masterclass against Max Holloway, a guy a lot of people thought was going to win that fight when I was in Vegas. It was crazy. So is it Volk right now? Do you, I mean, obviously Leon, I ain't going to argue with you if you pick him because of the win and, and the stature of it. But right now, year of our Lord, 2022, October 6th, who is number one for you? It's Volk. He uh, he climbed to the top of the MMA fighting pound for pound rankings, the most illustrious list that a fighter can be can can top. So that's huge, and I don't think it can be understated or overstated. Excuse me. I don't think it can be overstated how important it was for him to beat Max Holloway again and to do it the way he did. Because I don't know if if uh, we're we're already starting to revise the history, 
But like for the last two years since that second fight, a very close competitive fight, he is still somehow, even as he defended the title against Ortega and another classic, somehow Volkanovski had still been under the shadow of Holloway. And it was so unfair. I thought it was so – people were saying the first fight was close, which it wasn't. I mean it was uneventful, but it was – first fight – People, anyone go back and watch it. A clear win for Volkanovski. Not like he like dominated and like beat the crap out of Max, but if you're going about how fights are scored, I mean, I don't see how you could square the fight for Holloway. So people just kind of forget that fight. And because the second fight was so close, there's a lot of people going like, oh, both fights were close. No, the second fight was super close. I still scored that one for Volkanovski. So in my mind, as much as I was like open to seeing them fight a third time, I'm glad it took as long as it did. I'm glad it took two years. The only downside to that was everyone who was still on the max train was not going to be satisfied until they saw that third fight, no matter what happened. Because for me, again, I already thought Volkanovski was clearly the better featherweight. The win over Ortega only like reinforced that. So, and if you're Volkanovski, I'm sure in your mind, you know, you, you're, there was no doubts, but now there's, there shouldn't be, any, there's no doubts in anyone's mind. So it was a big, big, big statement win. It wasn't just, oh, going up 3-0 and against the same guy. It was like, this was the one this was like the one that really mattered to people. Um, that shouldn't have been the case, but that is how it was. Again, people, if anyone thinks I'm crazy, again, just go back and read and watch some of our people on the MMA fighting staff who are still, you know, pushing that Holloway train and saying that Holloway is, you know, is going to beat, is going to beat Volkanovski or that Holloway was still the number one. They still, still think he was number one after their second fight. This was a real thing. Um, so because he, he's number one pound for pound for us now, because he closed the door on the Max Holloway fight, because he is on his way, and I can say this because Jed's not here. He is on his way to becoming, with a, many, many more title defenses, the consensus number one featherweight of all time. I think he's got to be the best, the male fighter of uh, 2022. So no matter if you have Volkanovski in that spot, if you have Leon Edwards in that spot, we still have a lot of ways to go here. There's a lot of big fights, and I'll, and I'll start with you, Damon, because Leon's not fighting the rest of the year. Volkanovsky's probably not fighting the rest of the year unless something absolutely insane happens. Maybe he does, but not looking likely. We have Aljo fighting TJ Dillashaw at UFC 280. If he wins, that's two successful title defenses for him. We have Oliveira versus Makachev. Both will have two wins. And I actually think there's one other fight that actually could decide this altogether. So how do you think this all ends up What's the biggest fights in play for you right now in order to determine who can and will win this award? I think Aljamain Sterling deserves more credit than he's getting if he goes out and beats TJ Dillashaw. That's such a huge win after he beat Peter Yan and kind of vanquished those demons from the first fight. So I think he deserves a lot of credit. And I'm actually picking him to beat TJ Dillashaw, so I think he'll be in that conversation. Um, Charles Oliveira, once again, in that conversation, beating Justin Gage if he goes out and beats Islam Makachev. Huge win, although... As much as I like Makachev, and I think Makachev's a monster, and I wouldn't be shocked if he wins that fight, Makachev still hasn't put together the resume to really, you know, truly deserve the the the, the ranking necessarily he's getting right now. He hasn't had those big marquee wins yet, but still a very quality win. But I think the answer is Alex Pahea. If he goes out and beats Israel Adesanya in, like, his fourth UFC fight, and, and that's after knocking out Sean Strickland in, like, you know, a minute and a half or whatever it was, I think that's the guy. Alex, Alex, you know, is a kickboxer who has like six, who has six, like six monks martial arts fights, seven, whatever it is, very low number. If he can go out and beat Israel Adesanya, now we all know that's a favorable matchup. It's not him going out there and fighting 
a Bo Nickel wrestler, let's say, or or even a Hamza Chamayev wrestler. Okay, sure. But if he can go out there and beat go out there and beat Israel and beat him emphatically like he did in their rematch and kickboxing, knock him out, beat him like that. I think Alex Perheya is probably the answer. I mean, I think that is 100% the guy. And, and listen, I love Al Jermaine. I think he deserves to be in that conversation, especially if he beats TJ Dillashaw. But if Alex goes out there and beats Adesanya, that's two big wins. That's a knockout over Strickland. That's a win over Adesanya. And listen, Adesanya, say what you will about him. He's on one of the best winning streaks in terms of title defenses, in terms of champions in the UFC. I think that's the guy. I think he's the guy who could kind of upset the apple cart with a win in November. Yeah, that and and to me, I think that fight could actually decide this award altogether. What, what do you think, AK? I mean, I think if Pereira wins, it's pretty much a lock for him. But if Izzy wins... That's three title defenses for him. And I know the Vegas faithful were not pleased with his performance against Jared Cannonier, but he beat Robert Whitaker. And after watching what Robert Whitaker did to Marvin Vittori, that win aged beautifully. Did it not? I feel like this fight could decide this award. Uh, yeah, that was, that was my sort of looking ahead who could steal this. I think no matter what happens in some of the other fights, even if, and I'm a huge Charles Oliveira guy, even if Charles Oliveira, not if, I'm sorry, even when Charles Oliveira submits Makachev, um, I still think Pereira fighting his way back to a, a third Izzy fight in MMA and winning the title would be so amazing. I don't know if I feel strongly the other way, that like if, if, if Adesanya wins, that then you know he should get the spot. Um, I think it would matter how he did it. Certainly a highlight real knockout would go a long way towards, uh, you know, washing out the, the bitter taste of some of the, his previous title defenses, which were, which again, I think were fine, but from an entertainment standpoint, yes, your, your average viewer was not thrilled. Um, so it's hard to call someone the fighter of the year, even if he wins, like in a year where he's taken so much like crit, uh, lambasting from the public, um, deserved or not. So that, that would be a weird, a weird title to give him. So if Izzy kind of pulls off another methodical win, I probably would still lean towards Volkanovski. Um, I just think that that the 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 win over Zombie so dominant, the second win over uh, sorry the third win over Max Holloway um, again again dominant in a different way. Uh, so I, I don't mind it. I, I don't mind a case for Izzy. I can see a lot of people saying it goes three you know three title defenses against top competition Robert Whitaker, um, an old kickboxing rival, and also Jared Kenny are thrown in there. Even though people aren't really talking about that one for good reasons, but for me, it's it is a two fighter race right now. It's Volkanovski leading the way, and if Alex Pereira can beat uh, Israel Adesanya again, boy, uh, he'd be a fun pick for fighter of the year, wouldn't he? I have to. Damon mentioned a name, so I have to. I have to go back to this one. We're going to play a little hypothetical game, and I'll start with you, Damon. Let's just say, because this has been such a crazy year, let's just say that this individual gets back into the octagon at some point, whether it be at welterweight or at middleweight. Let's just say the UFC finds a way to book Hamzat Shemaev versus Colby Covington. And what if Hamzat Shemaev goes out there and does to Colby Covington what he did to Kevin Holland? Is Hamza Shemaev in this conversation, Damon? I don't think he's in there now, but does the weight miss take him out of the running altogether if he gets a third win this year, or is he in the mix? No, I think the, the weight miss and, and, and the level of competition in that fight do. I like Kevin Holland very much. Kevin Holland was training to fight Daniel Rodriguez, a boxer. He hadn't trained wrestling a day in his camp, I'm sure. 
And listen, it's a good win, but you got it because you screwed up being in the main event. You missed weight by seven and a half pounds. The Gilbert Burns fight, incredibly impressive. And if he can go out and beat, if he goes out and beats Colby Covington, which by the way, I don't think that's a sure thing. Colby Covington, listen, I'm not a fan of the dude, you know, in terms of what he says, but you can't doubt that he's a really, really good fighter. Uh, I don't think that Hamza Chamayev just washes Colby Covington. Um, but yeah, I mean, if he wins, if he gets Colby Covington and wins, great. It's a big win, and and he's definitely deserves a lot of credit, especially for beating him and Gilbert Burns in the same year. But I don't even really, in a weird way, I, I don't I don't discount the Kevin Holland fight, but I I don't really put it that high on my mark as far as what it does for him because he got it because he screwed up making weight for a main event, and he got a guy who hadn't trained a single day in his entire training camp for a guy like Hamza Chamayev. Nate Diaz said after his win over Tony Ferguson. All I did was train grappling. I did nothing but train grappling for this guy. Kevin Holland didn't do any of that. So, yeah, it's a win, but, I mean, come on. Is it really that? Like, is it really that impressive that he missed weight that badly? I just – I can't do it. I think that's – I think that hurts him more than it helps him in a weird way. Like, beating Kevin Holland doesn't help Hamza Chemaev's case at my point. If he had just bought – if he had just beat Gilbert Burns – and then if he came back and beat Colby Covington, I'd probably be more likely to say maybe he is fight of the year. But you just beat those you beat those two guys that you throw in the weight miss the Kevin Holland fight. It doesn't really do much for me. Yeah, I, optics is such a big part of this award. Like, like, can you be the fighter of the year in a year where what people talked about most was you missing weight by seven point five pounds and you know and putting an entire pay per view card in jeopardy? Like, can you be the fighter of the year then? Can you be the fighter of the year if again with Adesanya, where like yes, you were winning. But what people most talked about was, wow, I don't want to watch this guy's main events anymore. Like, can you be the fighter of the year in that year? Charles Oliveira, can you be the fighter of the year in a year where you lost the title on the scale? I don't know. So, you know, when it's when there's this many good fighters, you're kind of like nitpicking. So those are obviously the little nits that I'm throwing out there. That's why I think Alex Pereira has like the clearest path, barring something weird happening before the fight or in the fight with Izzy. Um, if he, if he, and same with Volkanovski, it's like, you know, mostly free of controversy. We're just talking about how great his performances were, nothing else, no other weirdness. Um, so that's why it's him, him, him and, uh, and Poetan. But uh, it, it, again, uh, uh, Adesanya and, and um, Charles Oliveira and Chimaya, great fighters. Again, Chimaya maybe fights again before the end of the year, could cement that. But because of the sort of this, these other extra, these other things that are part of their story, that we cannot separate from their 2022 campaigns. They're just a little, a notch below, I think, Volk and, and, and Pereira, if Pereira beats um, Adesanya. Well, we will see what happens. I think we a, we, we've done a good job sort of laying the land for these awards. And I think we're setting ourselves up for a fun couple of months to wrap up the year. Of course, no UFC, no big time MMA this weekend, but we're off and running next weekend. Decent card next weekend, and then it's on to UFC 280, and that card is just ridiculous. And then Cater versus Allen, Evloya versus Mitchell, and then on to UFC 281, and on and on we go. And I have a feeling that we could be having a whole new discussion come December when we do the actual award show when this is all said and done. So, AK, any final thoughts, any final words, anything you missed? The, the floor is yours. I feel like, I, I feel like we... We covered everything. There's always the thought that we missed something. I've been watching the uh, the brilliant YouTube comments closely, of course, uh, and I think we covered all the bases. Of course, guys, if there's any weird sort of moment 
or a huge moment that we somehow didn't discuss, you know, throw it in there. Throw it in the, in the comments when this goes up on MMAfighting.com. Um, but yeah, but what a great year I think it has been action-wise. Again, we've had a lot of storylines and things that we haven't really wanted to discuss. Uh, you mentioned like we don't want to talk about Mark Zuckerberg anymore, blah, blah, blah. And who knows um, what other um, kookiness we've had to deal with. But the in-cage action has consistently delivered. There's been great upsets, new champions, uh, people who are already champions taking it to another level. So it's been a lot of fun so far this year. And I do like that. Uh, yeah, we still have some fun to come. I mean, Uriah Hall's boxing. What's going on? What's it? This is combat sports is wild, man. Combat sports is wild. So I'm looking forward to the next three months. Party. Damon, any final thoughts? Uh, fighter of the year, let's not forget Anderson Silva. If he goes out and beats Jake Paul, and no, I'm kind of joking, <laughs> but not really. Uh, the other one I want to throw out also another fight of the year candidate. I want to throw out Yuri Prohoshka. If he actually comes back and beats Glover again in December, that's another one I want to mention. But I want to throw this out there because I didn't pick him for rookie of the year. And I kind of feel bad about that only because, again, the UFC kind of screwed him out of a second UFC fight this year being Bo Nickel. You will not find a bigger Bo Nickel guy than myself because I'm kind of the wrestling dude. Right now, if if they put Bo Nickel, something weird happens. Alex Pajeda gets injured and they say, you know what, Bo Nickel, you're getting a title shot against Israel Adesanya on November 11th. Oh Bo Nickel God. beats Israel. Bo Nickel beats Israel Adesanya wow. right now. <laughs> right now. He said it. Bo Nickel it. beats Israel Adesanya. I think Chamayev's a tougher fight because Chamayev actually has the wrestling. Producer did not like Bo that. Nickel, Bo Nickel beats Israel Adesanya right now. He out wrestles him. I, I'm right now. I pick him to beat him. I pick him to beat him. Another name we we and, and I don't know if he's gonna end up fighting or not this year, but another name that I feel might be a farve in this situation, because if he gets another fight this year, it's gonna be a big one. I feel like Marlon Cruz, uh, Mar- Mar- Marlon Cruz, Marlon Vera, uh, could get a a vote or two, but it just depends on yeah. what matchup he might be able to get because he's had a yep. friggin' great year too. So, uh, beating Rob Font Cheetah. decisively, Cheeto and- Sanhagen, Cheeto Sanhagen, Cheeto Sanhagen. <laughs> Give me that. Give me that sometime before the end of the year. And if Marlon wins, he might get a vote or two as well. So a lot to unpack. We'll see how the rest of the year goes, but we are out of here. Casey, you can hit the music. Back to normal BTL programming next week. Jed's retired, so I don't know what the hell we're going to do. So he's making my job very difficult. But for AK, for Damon Martin, Casey, thank you for your work on the ones and twos. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn takes you home. We'll see you back here next week on BTL. I am Mike Heck. Good night, everybody. This is Jed Mishu. I'm a big quitter. I can't handle between the links. AK, happy birthday. Listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on surprise, the future of work. Questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.